How many of you have a mother? That seemed like a dumb question, but aren't you thankful for your mother who gave you life? And um, we look this morning at a, a great woman who became a great mother, whom God used in a wonderful way. And we turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Our text covers a lengthy section. I'm just going to read part of it as we begin. 2 Kings chapter 4, and we start at verse 8 in Jesus' name. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, literally a great woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. That's a great woman, right? Feeding someone. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year, you will embrace a son. Then he said, All this, excuse me, and she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year as Elisha had said to her. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this word that we have the privilege to open this morning on this Mother's Day. God, thank you for mothers. Thank you for godly women who have made an impact on our lives, an eternal impact on our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage every woman here today, every mother here today, And may your word, Father, minister to our hearts and bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you, what makes a a woman great, what would you say? What makes a woman great? Is a woman great because she has great physical beauty? Is a woman great because she has great intelligence? Is she great because she has a great position or great wealth, or great talent. I suppose these are some of the things that our culture would say would, would make a woman great. But you know, God has a different view of greatness. And we see an example of that in the life of this woman. We don't even know her name. She's called the Shunammite because she was from the, the city of Shunam. But I would suggest to you there are several reasons why we would call this woman a great woman. First of all, a great woman has a great ministry in her home. 
Now, if you look at what this woman did in her home, maybe you wonder why I would say that she had a great ministry. She did some very simple things, right? Elisha was a prophet, and in those days, as he traveled from place to place, there were no Chick-fil-A's and there were no holiday inns. So you were kind of, you know, you had to find a place to live, and this woman was the one who gave him a place to stay. She fed him. And she had to persuade him for some reason. I don't know what was wrong with him, why he had to be persuaded to eat. But she persuaded him and fed him whenever he came there. And then she said to her husband, she said, this this is a holy man of God. This is a prophet of God. So let's make a little walled chamber, put a bed in there, put a table, put a chair in there, put a lampstand. And whenever he comes this way, He is welcome to stay in our home. Now, those don't appear to be spectacular things, do they? Feed him, give him a place to stay, so that when he travels through, he knows where he can go. But it was a need that the prophet Elisha had. And in a day, as I mentioned, when there wasn't motels or restaurants, he needed someone to care for him, to allow him to go on in his his ministry. And so she was partnering with him, right? She was partnering with the work of God's kingdom. And so her simple ministry really had great significance because it was furthering the proclamation of God's word. When I think of a simple ministry that had significance, I can't help but think of my mother. I think of her as I read this passage of scripture because Mom was one who who worked behind the scenes. Uh, she was not one who would ever stand up in front and you know wanted to be noticed or was ever the the president of the women's group or anything like that. Her ministry was very practical, very behind the scenes, feeding people, housing people, doing a lot what this Shunammite woman did. And sometimes it's easy to overlook some of the things that we do and we say, that's not really that significant. Sending a card, providing a meal, making a phone call, visiting someone in need in their home. But anything done to serve others in Jesus' name is significant. Even changing diapers And washing clothes. After my mother died, I found this out. I never knew this. But there was a lady from our church. She said, your mother told me one time that whenever she washes clothes, whosever clothes she is taking out of the basket and putting in the washer, she prays for them. I never knew that. But I'm thankful that she saw that very practical way of serving us as another way to remind her of her need to pray for us. That was the woman we see in our passage today. Notice, secondly, a great woman has a great contentment in her circumstances. As Elisha was resting one day in that room that they had built for him, 
he began to think about all that she had done for him. And so he says to the servant, call, call the Shunammite. And, and when he had called her, she stood before him and, and said, you've been good to us. You have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? It meant a lot to Elisha for what she had done. And so he says, is there something, something I can do? He probably didn't have a lot of money to give her and she may not have needed that anyhow. Can I speak to the king on your behalf? And I find her response to be quite interesting. In verse 13, she answered and said, I live among my people. As I read that, I thought, well, what does that mean? I, I, I live among my people. I think this was her way of saying, you don't need to do anything for me. I'm content with what I have and where I live. I don't need anything. I am content in the place that God has put me. That's refreshing, isn't it? It's refreshing to see someone who has learned to be content. It's refreshing because it seems so uncommon, especially in our day. We have a lot of discontentment in our culture today, don't we? A lot of people that are not happy with life, with their circumstances, with their income, with all kinds of things. M.R. Dehan in uh, Our Daily Bread, he said, Early one dreary, rainy morning, I sat in my study looked out the window, and I watched a fat robin pull three worms from the grass, swallow them, and then fly up on the telephone line. Just ten feet away, they began to sing. The bird began to sing. Half an hour, he listened to that robin singing as if to say, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you for these worms. And he was there offering his praise to the Lord. And he goes on to say, a young girl whose father was a chronic grumbler said to her mother, I know what everyone in the family likes. Johnny likes hamburgers. Janie likes ice cream. Willie likes bananas. And mommy likes chicken. And then she stopped. And the father was kind of irritated. Why didn't she mention him? So he says, what about me? What do I like? And she said, you like everything we don't have. <laughs> Good reason not to mention him. Huh? You like everything that we don't have. Are you content with what you have? Or are you always wanting something more? Something better? Or just something different? Something different. You know, contentment doesn't come naturally. It's not part of our sinful nature. Not at all. Paul says in Philippians 4, it's something we need to learn. And it is something that God can work in us. Listen to Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned, notice that, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, 
And I also know how to get a, how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes we pull that verse out of context, but we need to look at it in the context. What is he saying? God has given me contentment. God has enabled me to learn contentment whether I am hungry or whether I'm full. doesn't matter. Because you know what? Sometimes people think that when you are, have, don't have much, well, that's where you really need contentment. How about people who got a lot? Sometimes they're the most discontent people. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's what we see in this Shunammite woman. When Elisha asked if he could do something for her, no, I'm, I'm fine. I am content where God has put me. And that ought to be true in our lives as well because God's the one who provides stuff for us. He's the one who cares for us, right? He knows what we need. and Therefore, we rest in Him. Notice thirdly, a great woman has a great compassion for her children. She didn't want anything. She was content. But Elisha's servant had an idea. Verse 14, So Elisha said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year you will embrace a son. Now if you're in her shoes and you've got a a husband who, I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough so that she thought there is no hope with this man. And so she said to him, No, my Lord, O man of God, don't lie to your maidservant. As if to say, this will never happen with this guy. <laughs> He's way, 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 way too old. I don't know how old he was, but she, he thought, she thought he was old enough. But what happened? Verse 17, the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. Now, based on what this Shunabite woman said to Elisha about being lied to, she, this must have been a miracle birth. This must have been one of those births that said, whoa, how on earth did this happen? And what's interesting is what Elisha said to the Shunammite woman is very similar to what the Lord told Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18.10. You compare that with this verse. It is so much the same. About this time next year, you are going to have a baby. That's exactly what happened. We kind of jump ahead in the story then because years went by and the child was growing up. And one day he went out to where his father was working with the reapers. They were reaping the field. And, and some suggest that he might have had a heat stroke or something. We don't know for sure. But whatever it was, he cried out to his father, My head! My head! Here's where we see maybe a little difference between men and women, dads and moms. The father said, 
to the servant, take him to his mom. (laughs) Carry him to his mother. And I don't know if he was thinking, yeah, he can't be that bad. Can't be that sick, you know, just toughen him up a little bit. Or or he was just so busy, you know, got to get the crop in and take him to his mom. Notice what his mother did, verse 20. When he had taken him, the servant had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So when he said, my head, my head, he had a real issue. Dad pushes him off to mom, and mom, in her compassionate, loving, tender way, can you just picture that, where she is holding this boy in her lap, and he dies right there as she's holding him. Quite a story, huh? So there you see the compassion of a mother. She did everything she could to comfort her boy until he died right in her arms. As I studied this, I couldn't help but think of all the children that I've visited over the years in hospitals. Some of them very sick. Some of them died. Who do you think most of those children wanted? I'll give you a hint. In most cases, it wasn't dad. No offense to dad. They wanted mommy. Not always, but they wanted mom. And I would imagine that it was probably the same for most of us. When you were sick, who did you want? I never said, Dad! (laughs) It was Mom. There's something about a mother's compassion for her children that no one else can, can meet that need. And that's what we see here. A great compassion for her children. I remember being sick and Mom praying for me and staying up with me until I fell asleep again. Thank God for the compassion of, of moms. And dads, we need to be compassionate too. Don't, don't always just send the kid to mom, right? They fall down, pick them up. When they cry for mom, then bring them to mom. But we can learn from our wives as they care for the little ones. Probably the most important part of, of this passage is that a great woman has a great faith. A great faith in her God. After her son died in her arms, notice what the woman from Shunem did. Verse 21. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. So even though her son had died, she evidently believed that the prophet of God could do something about it. Why did she believe that Elisha might be able to do something about it? can't say for this for sure, but could it be that she was aware, maybe through the prophet Elisha of Abraham and Sarah? Because those words are pretty similar, right? About this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And if she knew that story and then Elisha says the same thing about this time next year, you're going to be, be, have a baby. Sarah had an old husband, right? In fact, the Bible describes Abraham when, when uh, uh, 
Isaac was conceived that his body was as good as dead. Any of you starting to feel that way? You get older, you feel like his body was as good as dead. And God gave a son to Abraham in his old age when he was 100 years old. And I love that story, don't you? Imagine this 100-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife and a baby. Abraham probably had a combination stroller walker, you know, as he's taken uh, Isaac to the park. And, and, and what are people going to say when they see this 100-year-old man and 90-year-old wife with a baby? Well, you know what they'd say. Oh, isn't it nice that Grandpa and Grandma are taking your grandson out? Or maybe great-grandpa and great-grandma are taking your grandson out. And I don't know what Abraham or Sarah said, but I can imagine I'll have you know that this is not my grandson nor my great-grandson. This is my son. No wonder they named him Isaac. Laughter. And that's what they said. They called him laughter because everyone who hears this story We'll laugh, can't, can't you? makes me laugh to say it. Can't you help but laugh when you, when you see what, what God did? And so if, if this Shunammite woman knew that story, this birth to an old man, and I wonder if that's why she sent for Elisha. And if you remember, that had a tremendous impact on Abraham. When he was going to offer Isaac on the altar, Remember that? Genesis 22. He believed that if Isaac actually was slain on that altar, the promise of God was so certain that God would just have to raise him from the dead. Hebrews 11, verse 19 says, He considered that God is able to raise even people from the dead. And perhaps this is why the woman of Shunem went to Elisha. I don't know that, but it's so similar what Elisha said, compared to what God told Abraham, that you kind of wonder. I don't know. As you look at how she trusted God in this situation, notice how faith brings peace. Faith calms the troubled soul. When the Shunammite woman told her husband that she was going to go to the prophet Elisha, he was puzzled. He said, Verse 23, why would you go to him today? He says, it's not the new moon or Sabbath. Why in the world would you go today? Of course, he didn't know what had happened yet. And her response at the end of verse 23, she says, it will be well. Now, what had just happened? Her son had just died in her arms. It will be well. And the word she uses here is actually the Hebrew word shalom. What does shalom mean? Peace. It's it's okay. It's well. How in the world could she have peace in a situation like that? And that's not the only time she expressed peace. Notice what she said when she reached Elisha. Verse 24, Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Don't slow down. Unless I tell you, So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his servant, there's the Shunammite. There she is. 
Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? You know what she answered? Shalom. Same word. It is well. And again, I think, how do you, how do you come up with that answer when you just held your son who died in your arms and she says it as well? Only answer to that question, she must have believed that Elisha could raise her son back to life. If God had done that miracle of giving him life through a body as good as dead, like Abraham's body, if God could give him life, could he not also raise him back to life? Here was a woman who believed that nothing was too hard for the Lord. Faith brings peace. But it also brings perseverance. Verse 27 says, When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. (laughs) Can you picture Elisha? What in the world is going on? She comes and she grabs onto my feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone. Her soul is troubled within her. And the Lord has hidden it from me. And he hasn't told me. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, don't deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins. Take my staff in your hand and go away. If you meet anyone, don't salute him. Anyone salutes you, don't answer. Just go and and lay my staff on the lad's face. And the mother, the Shunammite, said, as the Lord yourself, as the Lord you yourself live, I will. I'm not going to leave you. First she's hanging on to his legs. And then she says, I, I'm not going back alone. What perseverance. And so Elisha goes back with her. And he finds this son in that room on the bed that he used to use when he came to visit. And there he's lying there dead. And you can read the rest of the story of how that son was was raised to life. And I find it very interesting to notice the end of the story. Verse 36, he called Gehazi, the servant, and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed bowed herself to the ground, And she took up her son and went out. Now that phrase is very significant because other than the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there are five other recorded bodily resurrections in Scripture. Now we know there were more, but there are five that are recorded. And in every case, there is some mention of family ties being restored. Fascinating. Let me give you some examples. When Elijah raised the son of the widow of Zarephath, 1 Kings 17, verse 23 says, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. 
When Jesus raised the son of the widow from Nain, that story is... I wish I could have been there because this guy was in the coffin on the way out to the cemetery. And people were mourning and Jesus tells him, he said, the young man arise and he sits up in the coffin. Can you picture that happening? Woo, that would be a little bit, uh, wow. <laughs> That'd be an awesome, right? That'd be an awesome. So Luke 7.15 says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Isn't that interesting? And then you look at this passage here. Elisha called his servant. And when she came in, he said, take up your son. What's the lesson there? Resurrection resulted in reunion. Those family ties between those mothers and those sons that had died We're reunited. You know what that says? That's a picture. That's a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. I have a mother who's with the Lord. And if Jesus comes before I die, that's going to be my reunion with my mother. A family reunion. And I praise God for that. Christian mothers being united with Christian children in a wonderful restoration of family ties. If you've been blessed with a Christian mother, I know that this would be the greatest desire of her heart. There's nothing that a Christian mother would want more. Nothing she would want More. Nothing that would give her greater joy than to meet you in heaven. Reunited. Will you be there? Do you have that living relationship with Jesus? Do you have that absolute assurance that you belong to Him? And when you leave this world, you're headed to glory? I'm thankful for a mother that pointed me to Jesus. And in many ways, she was like this woman. She had a great ministry in our home. She had a great contentment in her circumstances, a great compassion for her children, and a, most important, a great faith in the Lord. That's the kind of women we need in our world today, don't we? Women like the Shunammite woman. Most importantly, women who love Jesus. Women who have a living relationship with the Lord. Women having an impact on her family and beyond. May God give us many, many, many more women like that woman. A great faith in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this woman. We don't even know her name. But we sure see the impact that she had on her family. So thank you, Lord, for mothers today on this Mother's Day. Would you bless each and every mother here? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you give them wisdom and strength and love and compassion and use them in a mighty way for your kingdom and your glory? In Jesus' name we pray.